From the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader Serial Fiction Show. Today we've got a dystopian zombie apocalypse story by Callie Chase called Bug. When the zombie apocalypse hits Los Angeles, the undead aren't the only monsters unleashed on the city. B-Bug Aisling is a survivor trying to find what's left of humanity in herself and the people still living. When B is bit but doesn't immediately turn, the race to understand the mysterious connection between shapeshifters, zombies, and humans becomes urgent and personal. Callie Chase wrote her zombie dystopian series Bug as a labor of love as she hopes to contribute something innovative and exciting to the genre that she loves so much. Her series Bug was called a knockout debut by Amazon in their Kindle Vela press release, and the series was an Amazon book review editor's choice when Vela launched. She has an MFA in fiction from the University of Notre Dame, a German shepherd, and a passionate love for the zombie genre, even if she would never be able to outrun them. And now, a sample of Bug, episode one. Day one, B. Memorial Park, Mid-City, Los Angeles, California. Beatrice Ashland zipped her hoodie up to her neck. Sunglasses over her eyes and a water bottle in her hand, she popped in her earbuds and walked past a group of shirtless men boxing with a coach in the open air of Memorial Park. The smell of rotting plants and the faint hint of smoke from fires burning far off in the canyon carried on the air. Dead palm fronds littered the park like discarded swords, their dry husks sharp enough to flatten a tire or slice through skin. For all its fresh produce and plasticine dreams, Los Angeles could be a filthy city. The sidewalks leading to the park were littered with the carcasses of cockroaches and discarded takeout styrofoam. People were everywhere, even today on a wet, gloomy afternoon after a rare overnight rain. Nannies chased toddlers with uneasy steps, careful not to crush the garden snails that crept across the pavement seeking refuge from the flooded grass. Sometimes L.A. felt like a survival video game, and all B could do was duck one obstacle after another until she made it back to her apartment, put a rainbow-striped sleeve on a can of ginger ale, and breathed. Look out for your bear! A tired-looking woman swept her hand across the grass. B watched as the woman grabbed a child's stuffed animal just before its matted fur fell into a puddle. The woman held the toy in the air in a gesture of victory while a group of kids cheered. B smiled as she watched the toy-related rescue like the countless others she'd seen. She loved coming to this park. On her days off, she drove west, leaving behind the low-income Skid Row high-rise where she shared an apartment with a roommate and drove into the residential mid-city neighborhood. After a morning at a laundromat where there were fewer bleary-eyed dudes pissing in corners or sleeping on chairs, Bee treated herself to some peaceful outdoor time. Memorial Park was beat up like almost every community space in urban L.A., but this park was actually used by kids. It wasn't just an open-air encampment for people whose only means of survival were tents or hastily strung up tarps. 
Last night's rain and the shimmering, oil-slick puddles it left behind drove many of the kids and their teddy bears off the playground and onto the paths. Don't step on it! A shrieking little boy raced past B, nearly slipping onto his butt when his well-worn sneakers hit the pavement. It's a worm! It's so icky! A small cluster of kids gathered around the critter. B stepped out of the way, nodding at the kids. In a city that too often ate the innocent alive, she felt good watching the kids just play. All around her apartment, people suffered, from hunger or lack of resources. If she somehow lost her meager paycheck, B knew she'd be in a dire condition within weeks, maybe even days. As much as she felt for everyone who struggled so hard just to survive in this city, if she didn't escape its harsh realities every once in a while, she'd lose her mind. On hikes or at the beach, being alone was practically an open invitation for weirdos or criminals in a city like this. There was safety in numbers, and B didn't have numbers. She didn't have people. She had a brother she rarely saw and a roommate who preferred drinking games and playing pool to talking about real shit. When B needed time to think, time to be alone, she went where she could blend in and yet feel invisible. She grabbed a seat on a park bench. A group of women nearby sat on top of rain jackets laid out on the damp grass. They laughed together and chatted loudly, passing out sandwiches or sharing baggies of sliced carrots with any of the kids who came by. That was one thing Bea loved about this park. Every child was looked after by not only their own guardian, but all of them. Whether nannies or moms or aunts or friends, the women who held down the park kept shit together. Treats, sunscreen, bandages for inevitably skinned knees, collecting spare change to buy paletas from the street vendor. Even just sitting a few feet away from them, B felt better. She'd never experienced mother figures like this, but at least she could believe they existed, making sure every dirty hand had a wet wipe, every thirsty mouth was given juice. Scanning the swings and the poorly maintained twisty slide, B turned the volume completely down on her music and discreetly listened to the chatter of the kids, many of whom spoke in languages she didn't understand. To be a kid again, she murmured to herself, but even as she said it, she wanted to take the words right back. Unless someone invented an undo machine, she would never, ever want to go back. The future didn't look so bright, but the past was at least over. Relief that the past was behind her was one of the best things she could say about her 24 years of life so far. B scanned the little bodies running around as she looked for two kids in particular. A pair of sisters stood out among the sea of children with their light brown hair reddened by the sun. The older sister was like a miniature mom. She led games and soothed any of her friends who were crying, giving them calming, mature pats on their backs. Other children followed her too, boys still in diapers, girls who were older, as if there was something obvious in the kid's nature that commanded leadership. Her little sister was the opposite. Athletic, powerful, and fearless, she rarely took the time to wait for anyone, and she never looked out for other kids, or her own, safety. She leapt from the end of the slide headfirst and scampered easily up rope ladders that should have terrified her. But the one thing B always noticed was how the sisters looked out for each other. A hawk circled overhead, 
its large wings flickering a shadow over the brightness that was finally breaking the morning gloom. Mm -hmm. The clock on the library pavilion chimed the half hour. Soon, most of the kids would leave the park to go home for lunch or naps. Memories of ugly years clouded her view of the park, as it always did when she let her mind go back. This is what childhood could have been, should have been, for B and her brother Bryn, the couple who had taken them in and the troubling circumstances of their adoption. There were things she had to accept, things she'd likely never understand. Even if she did know all the details of a story no one seemed interested in telling her, the feeling of being adrift in her own life had pervaded her adulthood, or what there had been of it so far. She still looked like a teenager, and most of the time felt completely disconnected from adulthood. B was many things, and the word lost pretty much summed up all of it. Maybe someday things would feel different. Maybe someday she'd be different, but not today. I just wanted to start talking about what I really loved about this episode. And I love the world-building contrast between the filth of the city and the warmth of the people in the park. I just thought that was amazing world-building. Also love the pink camel print Chuck Taylors. Um, I was having a conversation with my niece, who is an avid serial reader, and her favorite thing in the serials is the wardrobe. So you definitely have to have a good wardrobe. Uh, I was just wondering what inspired you to write this post-apoc zombie serial. Sure. Um, I started writing Bug a really long time ago, like I think 2014. And I was honestly motivated to do it because I love the zombie genre so much, was an avid fan of The Walking Dead movies, anything. Um, But I really, like when The Walking Dead kind of got really, really, really dark, I thought, you know, this would be such a different story if we kind of followed female characters and I just really wanted to play with not like eliminating men or putting you know a spin on it that was completely different but just different way into to characters um with another lens and so I thought it would be really fun to try and plus I think anyone who's lived in LA for any amount of time knows that it's like you can't live here for more than like a month or two without thinking this is where it's all gonna start this is the craziest place and so I've been here now like eight years and it just felt like the perfect tinderbox of ideas, location, timing. Yeah, that was crazy reading this about LA because I had been there for about a month in the very beginning of 2020. And like, I had only been there for a month and you were bringing up things that I was like, wow, this is very LA. Like I just knew it right off the bat. Um So I'm just kind of curious, like, what is one thing about this story that you want listeners to know or to be really excited about? Oh, um, well, I think the other thing that I struggled with in creating something in like sort of the apocalyptic zombie genre was something that was interesting and unique and not predictable. So like the science of what happened to create this is something I put a lot of time and energy into. And I think because I've got this sort of paranormal bent, you know, there's a whole shifter aspect that I tried to front load, you know, in like the description. So people aren't shocked, like, wait, what? This is, you know, so I think having a sort of another common mystery or enemy that's not just the zombies, is just going to bring out more layers with the humans and their survival plan. So I hope that, you know, is unique and interesting and hopefully I execute it well because there it's, it becomes a significant aspect of the story but way deep in way late 
Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting choice to include shifters in zombie fiction. I don't think I've seen that before. So you said you've been writing this for a long time. So serial fiction is a bit different, of course, than traditional novel writing. Do you have everything planned out uh, for and to advance, or are you hoping audience participation might play a role in where the story goes? I would love reader participation. That would be amazing. Um, I do have, so when I initially conceived of the idea for Bug, I intended it to be at least a three book series. And I queried book one as a novel back in like 2015, I think. No, no, uh, maybe a little bit later, like 2017. And the feedback was so phenomenal, but it, it, it literally the most uh, robust feedback I got from agents was it feels like book one, it doesn't feel finished. And I knew it wasn't. So I really tabled it thinking I've got so much material and so many characters here and the novel was just not the right structure for it. Um, so this original version is basically almost like my outline now. <laughs> so the serial structure is really what's driving, you know, my excitement about reinvigorating the series, releasing it now. But just because I have sort of a big series plan and I know what those big anchor points need to be for the various aspects of like A, the zombies, B, the shifters, you know, C, how we bring it all together, I would love input. And I, and I have some early readers who are sort of my betas before I publish. And they've already given me some feedback about, you know, decisions and characters that I just, I'm like, yep, I love it. I agree. I'm totally open to how this, you know, it's almost like a writer's room in that sense, which is what I love so much about serials too, is bring it on because I'm open for anything. So I am really excited about these shifters in zombie fiction, and I don't want you to spoil too much because I'm, I think I just finished episode four and I can't wait to read more, but <laughs> I'm just a little curious, like, can you talk a little bit more about the the choice to use shifters in zombie fiction and um, like what, what little secrets can you give us? Yeah, well, so honestly, the thing that I love most, I think a lot of people do this by no means my original idea. People love the zombie genre because it reveals so much about humans, you know, like everybody's afraid of the same kind of things, but we all react to fear differently and we all react to opportunity differently. So one person's going to steal your wallet while the other person's going to pick it up and give it to you, you know? Like, so it's so interesting to mine all of that in this genre, but the shifters, I thought, give us sort of another lens into humanity because they are human, of course, they are, but they have this other aspect to them that's maybe more spiritual, but also maybe much more animalistic in places. So I just thought it would be an amazing thing to not just, I don't want to polarize human versus human like the most violent people win. I really wanted it to be more nuanced and complex. And I thought, it, it, there are many different ways to do that, but for me, because also like how cool is it to just throw a crazy wild bear in there? And honestly, too, I was really inspired by video games. Like I've enjoyed playing video games during the pandemic and the idea that I can have um, other things, scary monsters to fight that aren't just the zombies. Again, no spoilers, but there uh, there might be some, you know, exciting inspiration that came from video games uh, and zombie animals coming up, too. <laughs> So, favorite video game? Oh my gosh, I cannot name one, but I have literally probably logged the most hours in the pandemic on Seven Days to Die, which is a zombie video game. It's kind of a smaller one, but 
I am terrible at it. I literally scream and shake and get terrified. Thank goodness, like hopefully my walls are good so my neighbors don't worry about me, but <laughs> it's a full body experience. Awesome. So you talked a little bit earlier about uh, the science behind your series. What type of research did you do for this uh, serial? That is what slowed me down, I think, probably the most in, I mean, it wasn't a decade ago that I started. It was probably six, seven years, but figuring out the things that like, I, I know a lot about our world, I think, until someone asked me like, well, why does the power go out on day one, you know, of the apocalypse? I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how electricity works. I don't know how water gets into our building. So that kind of research, and that's when I made the decision to really take the, um, the ground zero moment, like when it all happens from the first hour and kind of walk through those days in a really realistic way, like, okay, within the first hour, what would happen? And sadly, we had, you know, with the last two years and everything gone on, there's a lot out there about, you know, response times and how things really happen in the real world in a big emergency or pandemic situation. So I definitely tried to research that. And I and I had help too, you know, like I have, you know, friends who are like, oh my gosh, I know everything that you might need to know about the military or this or that. So I've I really tried to make it as authentic as we need fiction to be without weighing it down with, you know, this is how a transformer works, which I don't know. So don't ask. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I've actually helped out a few post-apoc friends whenever they need some science-y stuff. So I, I see that you kind of have this team behind you, which I think is, makes some really good and compelling fiction. Um, did you name B after the co-owner of the Ripped Bodice Bookstore? Or is it <gasps> a happy coincidence? Oh my, this is the first time, JP, you're blowing my mind. I literally never thought of it until the second. It, I actually picked B for two reasons. Um, that is not one of them, but now, okay, I'm, that's like amazing additional layers. All of the names of all the characters do have meaning. And for me, B was twofold um, because Bug is the nickname that the roommate gives her. And the roommate is sort of because B doesn't have this family structure or people and she's got this big mystery behind her. She kind of turns out to be, I'll call it like the missing link. She she is the person who ultimately obviously leads to significant discovery and how all this stuff comes together. And so I needed a name that would allow a, a, a nickname that just constantly kind of reminded the reader that like, she's here for a reason. She's here for a reason. And this is the reason. Um, but then also, as I was writing it, I kept making a typo and adding an R at the end, which just kept reminding me like, <laughs> there's bare stuff that's really significant. <laughs> and it does relate to me. So those, those are the two, two reasons why I picked that name. I love that. Which character are you excited for readers to read about and why? I, I think as much as B, I think is like the heart character. Like that's, if you've read episode one, I, I love like uh, the Hunger Games and how well-structured that is and how you've got these beautiful breadcrumbs from literally page one. And so that's what I've really tried to do in writing Bug 2 is episode one has um, a scene with children. And so the two children that are talked about are kind of literally like it's a roadmap for what's going to happen in this series. And so those two main female characters that we follow lots of other characters in there but B and Drew uh, Drew is the other female POV character that we get a lot of her 
I think she is just, they kind of represent the heart response and the head response to all these things happening. And together, I think they're like an amazing team. Um, but Drew, because she's kind of just like not stereotypically warm and fuzzy lady, and she she gets a little sharper in the next few dozen episodes. I think she's really cool, though. I love her. Yeah, I'm I'm loving that. Uh, you know, as far as I've been, it's very female forward. I, I just love that. Um, that was an excellent decision on your part. Um, is there anything you haven't explored yet uh, that you plan to or want to? Yes, yes. So in in the series itself, in the in the parts that are not yet written, which I'm calling it in my head like season two because season one, um, we I don't really have a differentiation yet of seasons because obviously it's just been released, being released as we go. Um, but once we get to a certain point when all of the current survivors end up together and they end up in you know this focal point where basically we go into what I would say is the season two a lot has to do with the shifters and then also the treatment of like trauma and how all of these characters even you know whether you're a wolf shifter or you're you know a 20 year old girl how you relate together and how they connect so that sort of stuff i'm excited because that'll bring in much more of the science and things that you don't need to know in the beginning you just need to see everybody running around like crazy fantastic so do you have a favorite zombie or post-apoc book or film Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Favorite. I should have been prepared for this question because I love so much. I absolutely do love The Walking Dead, the beginning seasons. Um, I did fall off like a lot of people, I think, at certain points, um, but it's the standard, you know, for the genre. It sets the bar so high. Love, love, love that. I've read quite a few zombie novels too. Like it's really, I think, interesting to see how different writers approach it in fiction because writing horror that's really action-based is, it's hard, you know, for me, like the hardest thing was writing the first um, scene where they went downstairs and they were being pursued. It's like fitting in emotion and clarity of detail. So I, I love, there's a ton in the genre that does that really, really well, like get getting the action and all that. Um, my absolute favorites though, geez, I'm trying to think of what else I go back to over and over. I loved Black Summer. I binged, you know, both seasons as fast as I possibly could. <laughs> I think I watched each one in like two days each. It was so great and, and innovative. Like that's one of the things I love too is stuff. And I will say, I know a lot of people didn't adore certain things about it, but like Army of the Dead, <laughs> I, I could not, I was like, when I saw that zombie tiger, not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I was like, oh yeah, that's the best. I was very personally uh, satisfied by that. And and they have like much more movies in that world coming out. Don't they have like a heist movie coming out too? And I think a prequel too. So there's like, yeah, I think there's yeah. a whole franchise. Yeah. That, yeah. You, you got me when you said Army of the Dead. I was like, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> um, what? do you like most about writing serial fiction? The thing I love about serial fiction so much because I, I'm really comfortable with novel structure, love novels, but the fact that it's so quick and it's kind of like storytelling really for fans of stories. Like if you don't want to leave this world and you want to just go in and spend a little time and know that you can keep going back without, you know, finding your page or finding your place in a big book. Um, every episode is like a complete entity almost onto itself. You can pick it up, read it in whatever many minutes or pages that is. 
I just, I love it as, even as a reader, like I enjoy it so much and it's just a different way to get into content, almost like reading a TV show or reading like, you know, the show notes of what happens. I think that's so fun. Maybe I'm just very like ADD and fast paced stuff really does work with me, but I love it. Our thanks today to Callie Chase for letting us share their episode. If you liked it, you can read the first three episodes free on Kindle Vela. The link is in the show notes. Also, if you're a writer, we have a companion podcast, The Writer's Serial Fiction Show, where we talk with authors about their stories and discuss the elements of writing compelling serial fiction. Finally, we want to thank you for listening to The Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestions. You can also leave us a comment on our website, SerialFictionShow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And that's a wrap. that's a wrap. I like screamed that. I did. I kind of yelled it. <laughs> hey, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> John Paul Reinflesh the Ninth. That's a wrap. <laughs> Indubitably, sir, madam. I almost never use my kid's middle name because I'm never mad at him. All no, right. You like made me think if my parents ever did. They used to, mine did. Yeah, I think mine did too. They wouldn't use the last name though, just the first and middle. I just got a first and middle. I didn't get a last name. I never got the last name and I never got my second middle name. You too, man. They just gave up. They're just like, you shit.